0: Well, good morning once again. Today marks the seventh seventh sermon in this sermon series, Real Faith, Real Life. James is the half-brother of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and he's writing a letter uh, to fellow uh, Jewish Christians. And, and he sent it to all the, the Christians that have been scattered around the region, to all the different areas. And that's who he's addressing it to, and, and he wants uh, to give them specifics on, on how they are supposed to, um, uh, how, how them as genuine Christians, how they should act, how, how they, they should respond, and, and how they can demonstrate their faith. Over and over we have uh, heard of those stories that, and directives that James gives. You see, James, he doesn't beat around the bush, does he? He says it exactly the way he thinks it's supposed to be said. He doesn't uh, uh, color it up anything. He hits a square in the face, square in the gut, to make sure that we're listening to him. Many of the things that James describes actually comes out of the Sermon of the Mount. We've talked about that. There's huge parallels to that. There's also huge parallels to the book of 1 John. Very, very similar writings in those. Well, today, James is going to connect more dots for us. He's going to connect more dots and and, and hopefully help us to examine our faith at a deeper level. He's going to help us to examine, really, if our faith is dead or if our faith is alive in Jesus Christ. And that's an important absolutely important thing for us to understand if our faith is dead or alive. Again, this title sermon series is Real Faith, Real Life, and, and, and like James, I want each of us, no matter if you're male or female, young or old, wealthy or not so wealthy, no matter what your background is, no matter what your occupation is, no matter what your school status is, I want you to be able to truly examine if your faith is genuine. And this, is, this is vitally important because it's, it has eternity at its end. James 1, 2, or excuse 1.12 said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. A test of genuine faith is how you respond to trials and tribulations. We remember in verses 19 and 20, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. How are you responding to the circumstances in your life? A test Of your faith. James adds our reaction to the Word of God. What is our reaction to the Word of God? In verse 21, he writes, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. Test of your faith. Are you bridling your tongue? A test of your faith. James, over and over, is is saying, are you a genuine Christian? He keeps referring to him as brethren, blessed brothers, brothers and sisters. A couple weeks ago, we discussed how James is challenging us, how we're serving orphans and widows. Last week, we talked about our partiality, our favoritism. Are, Are we going out of our way for some and ignoring others? of faith, of your genuine belief in Jesus Christ. It's interesting that the Pew Research Center found that 71% of Americans in 2014 proclaimed that they were Christians. That's over 225 million people in the United States alone said that they were Christians. And, And if I had to guess, I'd say a majority of people right here, sitting right in these very seats, proclaim that you're part of that 225 million people, that you're a Christian. You know, James knew that, that there were large groups forming in these different regions where he was sending this letter. And he knew that in the midst of those groups of people, that there were some unbelievably beautiful, genuine followers of Jesus Christ. There are genuine people that said, man, I am a sinner, and Jesus Christ went to the cross, and he died, and he covered my sin, and he was raised again. He conquered death. And They're, they're so genuine. But you know, at the same time, James knew that there were some imitators. That there are people who who said that they were in love with Jesus Christ, said that they were Christians, but they were fake. They were imitators. And today James is gonna challenge us for anyone who claims that they're a Christian to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He's gonna gonna challenge us to investigate our faith at a deeper level So if you would, would you join me in standing? I'm going to read in James chapter 2. We'll begin with verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? May you come through the message, and may you affect us. May you help us to reflect on what our faith is like to you. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the first point that James makes in this portion of Scripture is that we have a need to investigate our faith to see if it is dead faith. To see if it is dead faith. Verses 14, 19 that I just read uh, talked all about that. Talked all about, uh, gave a word picture for us to see. And, And again, as I said earlier, James doesn't beat around the bush, he tells it exactly the way it is. You and I, we absolutely need to investigate our faith. And I appreciate the way James goes about it when he says the dead faith is demonstrated when someone is all words and no works. They're all words and no works. James, again, he highlights the poor and he says, oh my goodness, You're, you're walking by someone who says they're a Christian and even says that it's a fellow believer, is lying there, is sitting there, and they're without clothes, or, or barely any clothes, and, and and you could tell that they're just hungry and they're starving. They they need food. And the Christian walks by their brother or sister. It's like, oh, Lord, blessing, peace to you. I'll catch you later. And then they just walk on. James does this all the time. He 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 brings in the poor because. There's a prevalence of poor. Their Poor will always be with us, Jesus said. And so he, James is helping us to understand that, that there are so many times where there's people in need, where there's, there's somebody that could use our hand, that could use our love, and we just ignore them. We, we say, you know what? Someone else is going to deal with that. 1 John 3.18 says, Little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Serving people, loving people. The philosopher Plato, he said, when he talked about a person... It was all talk and no action. He said, empty vessels make the loudest sound. And maybe you've experienced this from someone before. Someone who says all the time to you, oh, I love you. I love you. Oh, I love you. I love you. But there's no action. It's just just their way of trying to pacify you, trying to get by, trying, trying to make you happy for the moment. There's no action in that love. It's just words. Sometimes as parents, we we, we will tell our kids one thing and we'll do something completely different. How about the person that tells you, maybe it's an aunt or uncle, grandma or grandpa, maybe it's even mom or dad. Hey, I'll be at that game. I'll be at that concert. Oh, I'm going to stop at your house. And they just say it over and over. Oh, I'm going to do this with you. Hey, let's go out sometime. Hey, let's do this. And never there's an action. All talk and no words. We all know people like this. And, and they're, they're, they're not the real deal. We can't count on people like that. And, and you know what? Frankly, sometimes those people are just lying. They're truly just lying. They don't want to be with you, or they don't love you, or they don't care about that poor person. And that's James' point. He says if you truly love Jesus Christ, if you truly love Jesus Christ, if you're in love with Jesus Christ, if, if, you're, if you are considering yourself as a sinner, and that Jesus was your only way, the, the, the absolute truth, then you live differently. You'd be a a person of action. You'd be the real deal. But if you don't, well, then you can't be counted on. And someday, maybe like in Matthew 7, you'll, you'll call out, Lord, Lord, and Jesus will say, I never knew you. I never knew you. There are many people. There are many people that, that maybe even right here, there's 43 people here today. Of those 43 people, many people here have been baptized. Many people here have been maybe confirmed. Maybe gone through a, a membership class here or somewhere else. Many people have, have maybe sat at a campfire, at a, at a Bible camp or a youth group. And sat around and and, and said, I'm recommitting my life to Jesus Christ. Maybe even took tapes or CDs and threw them in a fire and said, I'm done with this. I am serving God. And then as soon as you walk out into the real world, you're right back at wherever you were. It was all words and no action. And that's the danger. That's the danger of of, of proclaiming things like that because the danger is is that you're just doing it for attention. Maybe maybe you're just emotional. You don't mean it. Maybe maybe you're just uh, too uh, susceptible to the challenges of this world. Our Lord wants us to show our faith through our actions. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 5-7 says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfast, and steadfast with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Make every effort to supplement your your faith with love, with virtue, with steadfastness. And if you aren't seeing these things, if, if in your life you're not seeing these things, you're not seeing the fruits because of your actions, because of your faith, it might be dead. You might not have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. That's exactly what James is saying here. You may not be a trusting follower of Jesus Christ. There, there are times where, where there is a season, where there is a, 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 a tough patch, a rough patch, as some might say. But if this is if the ongoing thing in your life, today's your wake up call. The second point that James makes in this portion of scripture is our need to investigate our faith to see if it is demonic-like faith. Verse 19 says, You believe that God is one? Eh, you do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Even the demons believe, what's James' point here? James is saying that even a foolish demon, an absolute foolish demon, believes in God, but doesn't have good works. So James is comparing someone that truly believes in God, that truly trusts in God, believes that there is one God, and says they're the same as a demon. I've had several professors in college, especially down at McMurray in Jacksonville, that, man, they loved the Bible. They loved the Bible. They read it all the time, frontwards and backwards. They would quote it. We would study it in class at different times. In fact, one, one professor, he, he would say, tell the class, give me any verse in the entire Bible and I'll tell you what book it's from. And he, I mean, nine and a half times out of ten, he nailed it. And he would even start telling you about where it was in that book. But you know what all of those particular professors had in common? They all believed there was God, but they had no relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolutely none. One of the professors, uh, she lived a, a lifestyle that was definitely contrary to Scripture. She, in fact, taught us to only believe certain parts of the Bible. Another professor, his whole focus was the historical value and the philosophical value of Scripture. as as a great book. You see, there are many, many students of Scripture who who absolutely love to learn about it. They, They learn the Hebrew and the Greek and the Latin, and they understand all the ins and outs of it, but they have zero relationship with Jesus Christ. Luke 4, 41 says, And demons also came out of many crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was Christ. He was the Anointed One. Matthew 8. What an interesting story in Matthew 8. Starting with verse 28, it says, And when he came to the other side, to the country of Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him. Coming out of the tombs. So you got two demon-possessed men coming out. No one one could pass by them. And what did they say to Jesus Christ, to the to the Savior of the world? They said, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? You see, they understood that they knew that their time was short, that they were going to be cast into the lake of fire. They understood that. They had knowledge that he was Jesus Christ, that he was the Lord. The demons have a better understanding of theology, a better understanding of who God really is, and what their destiny is than many, many, many people. You see, all their works that demons do is absolutely worthless. It's absolutely worthless, except for to Satan. When you are trusted in Jesus Christ, your value of your works is off the charts when it's done to serve and honor the king. But if it's not, it's worthless. Is that what your faith is? Do you have knowledge? Do you, have, have you just gained that great knowledge of, of who God is and, and, and you know that, okay, there is a God, I know that. I understand that. And I even, I even believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Do you just want to learn more and more for the honor of of knowing that? Many people actually go get their doctorates in biblical studies and, and that type of stuff because they just want to be extremely knowledgeable of the book. You see, the demons, it says at the end, they shudder. They shudder. They shudder at the knowledge of what is to come because they're like, We're done for. We're done for. They see Jesus and they're scared. They're fearing. And many people in our society now and in generations past, "Hmm, no big deal. I'm just going to go to work, make my money, pay the bills, enjoy my life. I'm only here for 70 years, 80 years, 90 years whatever, I'm going to make the best of my time here. You're not even thinking of, of the eternity ahead. We're sh- so short-sighted. It, you know, I, I had a contact issue earlier this week. I did today, too, but that got resolved. But I had a contact issue earlier this week, and, and, and so I didn't have any contacts on and I don't know if it was when we got up in the morning, Sherry, or it was before we went to bed, I, I had a text, and I couldn't read the text. I mean, I literally can't read if I don't have my contacts in. I can see things far. I'm farsighted. But, but I can't see stuff close by. So if I didn't have my contacts in, you know, I'm, I'm like an old man. I am getting older and older. You see... When it comes things near, it's all blurry. And that's the same thing it is with our walk with Jesus Christ. If, if we are just having that nearsight, just thinking about our time here on earth, sometimes it gets a little blurry. We're not thinking about all the stuff that we have way deep. We're just like, ah, let's just, let's, let me just bring a little cl- Oh, yeah, there you go. I could see it. And that's all we're caring about. We're just caring about today. Serving, to, okay, let's just have fun today. I'll, I'll deal with Jesus later on. I'll deal with getting my life right later on. You need to have a focus of, of the future. Focus of, of how, what's going to happen in eternity. And the demons, they had that. That's why they were shuddering. They knew what was going to happen. They know what's going to happen. Sometimes we forget finally we need to investigate our faith to see if it is a dynamic faith in Christ we'll stay here a little bit longer in the first two points because James is is, is going to share with us two contrasting heroes of the faith in this last portion because he wants us to understand what genuine faith looks like what absolute genuine what dynamic faith looks like so at the first two points were were demonstrations of what dead faith looks like these next two examples are what faith looks like when it's absolutely alive when it's alive first we see faith demonstrated when Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son So I don't want to skip by this too quickly because this is absolutely important for us to understand. Right away, James says that was not Abraham our father justified by works? Justified by works. I I thought we were justified by the grace of Jesus Christ, by the gift of God. You know, this is one of those verses that when, when you, if you're having an argument with somebody, uh, they'll bring up as a verse that is contradicting, as a verse that that is con- a, a that it, that it's like, see, Bible, the Bible doesn't even make sense. It says one thing in one place and one thing in, a, in the other. Martin Luther had an issue with this, with the book of James, and this is one of the reasons. You see, James says that Abraham was justified by works in this statement. While Paul, in Romans 4, says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So Paul says that Abraham's justification comes by grace alone. He says it over and over, by grace alone, by grace alone, by by faith in God, not by works. So we've got to reckon these two differences, or how do we? Was Abraham's work the cause of his justification? Or was it the grace of God as Paul teaches? I think the first thing is we have to understand that we don't have to reconcile that. It's already reconciled. We just have to understand what the two are saying. It has been reconciled uh, very easily. So we're going to hold our our finger in James, as you have it in your scripture, but we're going to go all the way back to the book of Isaiah. All the way back to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 61. You know, occasionally we should just have a sword drill, and I'll have prizes up here. Isaiah 61, verse 10. says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. What has God done? God has covered him with righteousness. Isaiah didn't put on the robe. It was put on by God. It was God's choosing to put it on him, not Isaiah's. By God's grace, not by Isaiah's work. That's the exact same thing for you and for me. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, understanding that we are sinners... Understanding that we need Jesus Christ and we need his sacrifice and his resurrection, we get a robe put on us. A robe that was put on us by grace alone. In fact, flipping back to James 2, verse 22 and 23, it says, You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was. Fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Abraham believed God and Abraham received a robe of righteousness. Abraham listened to God. Remember, he, he left all that he had. He, he, was, he was in his hometown and, and he's enjoying life just like you are right now. Just enjoying your time. But then God called him somewhere completely different. Said, pick up your things and go. I think he was, what, 75 years old when that happened. Younger than our friend Bill back there. Bill is younger than than what he was. So Bill's got a couple years and he's going to be called. And he's going to go to some other land. The question is, would he be willing to? Would you be willing to? You see, Abraham left everything, not knowing what was coming up next. Through faith, Abraham was justified by God through works. Through the following through with his faith in God, he was justified by men. You see, his faith in God is what gave him the robe of righteousness. His faith in by following through with God's call, is what showed everybody that he had faith in God. That was demonstrated for the world. And this is what James is getting at. He wants you and I to have such a relationship with Jesus Christ, to have such an intimate relationship that we serve, that we act, that we do stuff not that we're just complacent, not that we're just all about ourselves. James even points out directly that it was the the action of, of taking his son and being willing to sacrifice him. You see, Abraham, he believed so much in God, so much in the promise of God. He knew that there's no way that the God of creation would ever ask me to sacrifice my son unless he had a plan. No sacrifice by any parent has ever been asked for before Abraham or after, except for God himself. So Abraham just assumed in his mind, he probably thought, as we're we're taught in another scripture, that, hey, he's going to come back to life. I'm going to get to see a resurrected body. What was that struggle like as as he laid his son down? Some say he was as old as fifteen years old when he went up there. I mean, is he holding them down as he's binding them? Did he have to knock him out? To, to get him to lay there? Did his son, did Isaac listen and obey? Say, okay, Dad. When Abraham lifted up the, the, the knife to stab it in him, we all remember what happened. The ram was provided in place of Isaac. But it's his faith. He was following through with what God had, had guided him and, and told him when we're intimate with God, when we read his scripture, when we study who he is, and when we bow down and we humble ourselves before him, all of a sudden we can hear the Holy Spirit speak to us, and teach us, and guide us, and then we could serve him. That's what the works he's talking about, that's that's how it's being demonstrated, So James then points out the dynamic faith demonstrated when Rahab, when Rahab saved the messengers. You see, Abraham, he was rich. He was a Jewish man who was a leader. You know, and and, and really Abraham was considered good in people's eyes. Some say Abraham was one of the richest men ever. Then James brings in this weird contrast. He brings in a Gentile woman into his letter. A woman, a Gentile. She was a degraded Canaanite. She was a follower. James 2, 25-26 says, And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Rahab, the great, great grandmother of King David, a relative of James, she was clothed in righteousness. Why? How? You see, Rahab was a prostitute, a promiscuous woman, a harlot as some versions call her. Somehow you guys remember in the book of Joshua that the two spies are, are, are looking in, in Jericho and, and they <clears throat> they're saying oh my goodness, we're going to be caught and, and, and they come across we don't know exactly how we assume it was the Guidance of the Lord, they come across this this inn that was owned by Rahab. They could have been there for other reasons. We don't know that. And they come there and, and and they they know they're they're being sought after, and, and so they go to Rahab, who owns the inn. And they said, "Oh, we we need help. We need help. We're we're going to be killed." You see, if if he's if they're caught, they're dead because they're spies. Rahab, Rahab's in actually butted up with uh, the wall, too, which obviously makes it extremely convenient of why they went in there. So Rahab ha- has this dialogue with them and, 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 and hides them. Let's read it. Joshua 2. I'll read it for you. You don't have to... Turn there, starting in verse 3. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman, that's Rahab, had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at the dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. She lied. Scripture's not teaching us to lie. But she did lie. I always wonder what happened if she didn't lie there. How God, God would have still used it in some fashion. But she did, she lied. Continuing, But she had brought them up on the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So why? Why'd she hide them, and how is this a demonstration of her dynamic faith? we got to go back to it. Verse 8. Here's what it says. Verse 8 of Joshua 2. Before the men lay down. So now it's like kind of going back in time. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, listen to this quote. This is a prostitute living in a foreign land, a Canaanite woman. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sahan and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Rahab was saying, save us. Give us an opportunity because I know that you will destroy us because your God is the God. I know that he is the almighty God and that he that you find favor in him would you at least find favor in me. You see by Rahab risking her life to save these people believing that the God of Israel was the one true God It was counted unto her as righteousness. Two different stories. Two absolutely different stories. Abraham following the command of God, leaving his homeland, and eventually climbing a mountain, building an altar, and being willing to sacrifice his son. Rahab convincing people that that the guys ran some other way, lying. She hid the two spies on the roof and eventually got them out. But if, if both stories, you put them together, what were they both doing? They were giving up everything for God. Everything was being given up because of God. Both were putting their whole heart of hearts. They're obeying the God of creation. They're willing to serve at the pleasure of the real king. Not their king. Not their leaders. But they're willing to do as the king of kings had asked. And that's our challenge. That's our challenge that, that I have for all of us. Me included. We need to test our faith to see if it's dead or if it's alive. You know, you can't test that by, by going down the Village Bible Church attendance or, or, or reflecting on how many Bible studies you go to. You, you can't do that uh, on, on how many times you read the Bible each week. Or, or if you go to church every week, Uh, on Wednesdays as well, small group. You can't test it if if, if you, oh, they they have uh, Revelation 3.15 memorized. They're they're definitely a believer. You can't test it on on your knowledge of Scripture. There are hundreds of thousands of people that read their Bibles. There There are tens of thousands of people that listen to Christian music that had that, that fish symbol on the back of their car. There are so many people that have proclaimed that they're giving their life to Jesus Christ at a youth group. So many people who have professed that I'm going to follow Jesus, and then they got back in the real world, in real life, and it just fall fell behind. It's because their faith was dead. The last verse of James 2 says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. If you have a body, but you don't have a spirit, you might as well be six feet under. You might as well be six feet under. Because... Without a spirit, you have zero value. I was going to give you all kinds of details of what happens to a body as it decomposes, but we're getting ready for lunch. He contrasts that, whatever that picture I was going to share with you, is if you have faith with no works, it's just, it's nothing. Faith without actions is dead. Jesus was listening to the deeds of a rich young ruler. You remember that story? He's he's listening to all the good things that he was doing, and here's what Jesus said. He said, you know what? One thing you lack, one thing you still lack. He said, go and sell everything. Sell everything and and give it to the poor. That wasn't a command for Jesus to tell every single person to sell everything that they have and always give to the poor, and that's, all, that's how you're supposed to live your life. No. Th- th- this is the entire question. You see, most people have some type of conviction. Probably, probably every single person here has some type of desire or, or, uh, or conviction that they want to follow Jesus Christ in some fashion but when you're faced with an absolute big question whatever that question is for this rich young ruler it was his money for you it may be tv it may be your phone it may be money it may be a guy it may be a girl maybe your computer i don't know what it is but there's something that could be holding you back jesus says get rid of it and follow Me, Because when you're following me, you're going to be listening to the Holy Spirit, and you are going to be a person of action. You're going to be a person of action. There are thousands and thousands of people that have walked up as Billy Graham's team played just as I am. some of those people that were committing their life to Jesus Christ they were genuine but some of them were not is your faith alive or is your faith dead the question you got to ask is is my faith calling me into action let's pray lord jesus We want to be a people of action, people motivated to serve you as our king of kings. Teach us and move us on a daily basis, God, uh, that we will be people of action, that our faith will be alive. And Lord, for for those that are struggling, maybe even right now, whether listening online or, or listening here, In this congregation, whether or not their faith is alive or dead, I pray that they seek you out, that they humble themselves and ask you, God, to help them to become people of action. We love you, Jesus. We're so thankful for your sacrifice and your resurrection. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.